You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Good morning to Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. How are you? I'm great. Had a great 4th of July weekend. Had all my kids, all my grandkids here for the weekend. What kind of numbers? 28 of us. 28, 28. of you. Yeah, six kids and their spouses and 14 and a half grandkids. Watermelon, oh, ice cream. Watermelon, ice, uh, ham- hamburgers. Uh, Who gr- did the cooking? I did some. I've got a nephew. And they're still okay, right? Uh, they're, they're still alive this morning. Uh, I've got a nephew that has a big uh, cooker thing. He made... Uh, uh, you mean like corn- a Traeger? Uh, no. Corn- he, it's like a big wok. It's a big, like a big pot. Really? And he makes scones and he makes... Uh, well, I didn't overlook my invitation, did I? It, it probably got lost in the mail. I see. Which is understandable. <laughs> Anyway, it was a great weekend. Went to the Rupert Parade and oh enjoyed that as as usual. So you know, you came in here with a glow, and that must be the reason. Uh, you know, it's just it is a glow. Uh, you know, the Fourth of July, I love. Yeah. I, I love the Fourth yep. of July. Yep. I love the music. I love the patriotism, uh, the pride in our country. What can I say? Absolutely. I, I love that. This and I'm proud of you for saying that. I really am. So, okay, do we have any people that we need to thank? Uh, not today, but uh, so I'm going to, the, the title of the uh, the story today is called The Men Who Handled the Ribbons. What? The Men Who Handled the Ribbons. I know, I heard you the first time, I just didn't understand it. <laughs> the stagecoach drivers. Oh, okay. well, why didn't you say the reins? Well, because that's States. not what the title says okay, here. Okay, well, go ahead. So we're going to talk some stagecoach stories. How's that? I get that frustrated. Me? Every time I see a stagecoach on TV, they're always running those horses at to a full death. gallop. And they didn't do that. No, only if they were being chased. That yeah, was it. I, I couldn't believe yeah. it. I've talked to Ray Bagby about that, and Ray and I are both mad about that. Yeah, he, and he has a beautiful stagecoach oh, that he has built from the ground up. Absolutely. Just an amazing piece of work. But Mark Twain, you know, and a lot of other writers, they wrote about the uh, pictures of frontier stage drivers. Uh, and in their own words, they uh, these old accounts sometimes seem exaggerated to a modern generation. But stage drivers were a remarkable breed. They had a position of popular reverence that reveled, uh, rivaled even the saloon owners. And one writer wrote this. He said, he is a lord in his way, the captain of his craft. 
the fear of timid passengers, the admiration of the stable boys, and the trusty agent of his employer. He prides himself in being expert in his profession, to which all other occupations and professionals are subordinate. Woo! He is king of the road, so to speak. I wonder how many of them ever fell off. <laughs> That probably happened. Well, you know. Uh, I darn near did. Well, I've been on stagecoaches just and not going over rough ground. Oh. Yeah. So, yeah. But, you know, once out on the road, passengers found the trip was a unique experience. Uh, uh, its appeal, like so many other things, depended upon the individual. Uh, an Englishman, Sir Henry Huntley, on a trip between Sacramento and Placerville, was upset because there was no class distinction among passengers. Wait a minute. He was disturbed by the frequent use of tobacco by, quote, dirty citizens <laughs> and the blasphemous language of the stage drivers when two coaches met on the road. Oh, so he thought that he was above that. Uh, exactly. I see. Uh, kind of like your attitude. Uh, now, Zap, come on. <laughs> Me and you are on the same... What, uh, whatever. The bottom level. <laughs> the bottom level. <laughs> now, other travelers enjoyed stage driving immensely. One guy named uh, Barthwick wrote that, quote, to sit behind four horses tearing along a good road is delightful at any time. Really? So he loved it. Didn't he mind the dust. Didn't mind any of that. And the heat. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, a person named Dame Shirley recalled a stage journey in 1851, uh, perhaps a more typical traveler, and wrote later of both the pleasures and the tribulations of a coach ride. Quote, she said, I seated myself in the most excruciating springless wagon that it was ever my lot to be victimized in and commenced my journey in earnest. For 30 miles, the road passed through as beautiful a country as I'd ever seen, dotted here and there with a California oak. It reminded me of the peaceful apple orchards and smiling river meadows of dear old New England. Later, when her coach entered the hilly, mountainous mining country, the trip became a little more of a strain. Here's what she said. Quote, for more than a mile, we drove along the edge of a precipice, and so near that it seemed to me, should the horses deviate a hair's breadth from their usual track, we must be dashed to eternity. They had an eloquent way of they saying, you're going like, to die. Yeah. <laughs> you and I just said, oh, my gosh, we're, gonna, we're dead. I have a question that I know you, have a, you wouldn't ask because you're probably not, you know, as uh, low class true. as I am sometimes. True. Okay. okay. Go ahead. When a stagecoach was rolling along and somebody up in the stagecoach said, Driver, I have to go to the bathroom, what did they do? I'm going to assume it depended on who it was. Oh, it, you're hedging. I am, because it would be just up to the stage driver okay. and his patience right. and whether he's on a schedule or not. Patience? Yes. In some cases, that can't be utilized. Or yeah. Yeah. Now, another stage passenger uh, remarked on the more universal inconveniences of coaching, commented that the roads were quite, uh, were, quote, disagreeably dusty. <laughs> and that throughout the mining country, passengers were, quote, jarred and shaken without mercy. I see. Now, as the elements nature, you know, uh, road agents, Indians weren't enough to cope with, uh, stage passengers had to endure poor accommodations, terrible food, miserable roads, and a lot of times overloaded coaches. In towns and cities, 
uh, stage passengers were usually able to be put up at a halfway decent hotel. But in the mining country during the early days, it was often a different story. A stage travel, traveler described Sonora's best hotel as, quote, a one-story structure built of unhewn saplings covered with canvas and floored with dirt. It consists of one undivided room in which the tables, berths, and benches are all arranged. Here we sleep, eat, and drink. Four or five tiers of berths, or bunks, one directly above the other, are built against the walls of the cabin. The bedding is composed of a small straw mattress about two feet wide, an uncased pillow, and a single blanket. Sounds like all the comforts of home. Yeah. I mean, what's wrong with that? I, yeah. I wouldn't and complain. And that was the beginning of various motel chains. <laughs> it was. It really was, Deb. <laughs> Another guy, a traveler out of Stockton in 1851, wrote that the stage, uh, station fare, the food, consisted of, quote, tough beefsteak, boiled potatoes, stewed beans, a nasty compound of dried apples, and a jug of molasses. Now, that wouldn't sit real good with me. So far, you haven't done anything to really make me want to have lunch, I'll tell you (laughs) that. But, you know, the dirty condition of the roadside inns and the stage stops was, generally speaking, confined to the 1850s. And, at worst, uh, was a very minor problem uh, compared to some of the other hazards. Uh, A certain Mrs. Evoy was traveling on a stage between Marysville and Tehama, in 1853, she was 70 years old and was carrying $1,800 in gold dust oh in two purses. Now, most of the day and evening, she'd been passing the time engaged in conversation with Colonel Harper. Good old Colonel. Colonel Harper. Yeah. Okay, a fellow passenger. A newspaper account of the affair neglects to mention that she discovered her purses were missing. Uh-oh. But her cries of robbery brought the stage grinding to a halt. Really? She discovered. So they're inside the coach. And she yells, robbery. Inside the coach. Yeah, yeah. So the the driver tumbled everybody out of the coach, but before an inquiry got fairly underway, Colonel Harper, now picture this, threw off his cape and demanded to be searched. Uh, Now, one of the passengers, a little bit cynical, immediately picked up the cape and found one of the missing purses in in his pocket. So I think he did this as a show, like, hey, I wouldn't steal from this lady. You know, here, I'm going to take off my cape. Well, uh, and it turned out he had a red S on his chest. (laughs) (laughs) Superman, you know, with a cape. I'm sorry. We'll move on. Uh, anyway, so, and the poke that they found had Mrs. Evoy's name on it. So, of course, and the colonel, of course, he didn't know how the purse had gotten in his cape, but he was hustled, hustled uh, back to the nearest ranch and tried before a justice of the peace. And at his trial, it was brought out that he had been particularly attentive to Mrs. Evoy all day, and some of the passengers had seen him walk out of sight of the stage with her carpet bag oh. it was presumed that this is when he substituted rocks wrapped in paper for the two purses of dust and he narrowly missed being lynched and was glad to be turned over to the authorities at the next nearest town so he was lucky he didn't get hung he was wow i mean if they'd have had their way he'd have, he'd have been swinging wyndham hotels and resorts makes travel possible for all 
Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on a whim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. But you know, uh, you know, a lot of times in movies, you see the, these wide open prairie uh, roads with stagecoaches, right? But narrow mountain roads were, uh, I mean, they were very common, these real narrow roads. Uh, and sometimes they caused a tragedy. Uh, in 1875, a guy named Andy Morris was driving stage out of Eureka when he met a wagon going in the opposite direction. This on, isn't good. On a narrow trail. Ooh. The wagon driver, Charlie Groots, pulled his team up on the inside bank so that the stage could pull around him on the outside. So the stage so was the on picture. the lip of the cliff. But, well, no, the one has stopped, and he was on the inside. Yeah. But his wheels were kind of up. Uh, elevated a little bit. So yeah, I know picture. what you mean. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so as Morris, the other guy, kind of edged his coach around the wagon, Groots's vehicle, the one that had stopped, which had been parked at too steep an angle, suddenly tipped over onto the stage horses of the guy that was passing. Oh. The animal spooked and jumped off the cliff, taking themselves and the coach down a drop of several hundred feet. There were no passengers, and the driver jumped off, and miraculously, the stage uh, stocked. The animal survived. But they the, did? Yeah, but the coach was smashed to pieces. Well, imagine that. <laughs> yeah, a couple of hundred feet. So, You know, I was wondering about those narrow roads. I, I can't remember the movie, but uh, my goodness, I mean, we're talking where the wheels, the rim oh. of the wheels was like right on the edge. Yeah. Yeah, you would hope your driver was paying real close attention. And you would hope the horses were paying real close attention, <laughs> Yeah, too. yeah. You know, uh, the accidents uh, were by far the most dangerous uh, aspect of coach travel. The road agents, you know, the robbers and the hold-up men, uh, they were always a present source of trouble from 1851 until after the turn of the century. Uh, the bandits and the highwaymen were pioneers, too, and they set the stage for the next 50 years of Western outlaws. And what colorful characters they were, you know, legendary figure, figures, uh, uh, feared and desperate men like Joaquin Murrieta. I remember, remember him. Oh, yeah. yeah. Joaquin uh, was one of the earliest, most publicized bandits. And although he hasn't, uh, he wasn't known to necessarily hold up stagecoaches, but he would uh, rob uh, mining settlements, pack trains, things like that. Uh, there's another guy, Tom Bell, Rattlesnake He's Dick. No relation to me, by the way. I, I, uh, I wasn't even going to suggest that. Thank you. Tom Bell, Rattlesnake Dick Barter, uh, Dick Fellows. Uh, let's see, who else? Oh, uh, we've got a guy named Charles Bowles, alias Black Bart. You've heard of him. Oh, yeah. Wasn't he from Idaho? 
Well, you know what, Zeb? I did a story on Black Bart, and there turns out there was about two or three of those Black Barts. Because I remember one you talked about here in Idaho. Yeah, and so Black Bart was kind of a seemed like a good name to pick up. Oh, because it seemed like there was two or three of those guys that uh, took on the name Black Bart. How did they get their nicknames? Well. You know, if you lost a finger or you lost your scalp or there could be names associated with certain disfigurements. Uh, and I'll just leave it at that and let you think about that. I'm pondering. I know you are. So one morning in 1874, a stage out of Hollister was stopped by a tall man with a shotgun and a short 16-year-old girl named Lizzie Keith. The driver threw down the payroll of the uh, uh, of a mine that he was carrying and then kept on his way on his return trip the driver was again held up at the same spot same spot by the same people but this time he had enough of their nonsense he lashed out with his whip the driver knocked the shotgun from the bandit's grip and then grabbed the pistol pistol from the girl and with the help of a passenger the two bandits were put on into the stage and driven into Hollister where they were deposited in the local jail no kidding. now you know i uh teamsters use whips yeah you know but stage drivers you don't think as much but somebody with a good uh skill with whip they were feared as much as anybody with a gun lash larue yeah so, remember him? Uh, I remember the name. <laughs> yeah, but after the turn of the century, you know, passengers themselves were uh, usually the targets of robberies, and not so much the gold-laden uh, treasure box of an express company. Uh, such incidences were not as frequent as is generally supposed, but they did happen, and often enough that at least uh, one express company had forms made up so drivers could easily report a holdup. Wells Fargo alone reported 313 robberies and 34 attempted robberies during a 14-year period. Holy smokes. 313. But they had a special form made up so the driver could just fill out, probably said, you know, description, what time, where were you. Did the drivers, when they made a run, let's say from Sacramento to someplace, okay, did they turn around right away and go all the way back, or did they have like a day or two layover? What was the deal? Well, and that depended a lot, uh, because a lot of times they did. They uh, A driver would drive from his station to the next station and turn around and drive back to the station, his home station. But there were situations where a driver would carry on to, say, like, say, from Virginia City, Montana. He might drive to uh, a home station, stay overnight, then continue on to, say, uh, uh, Fort Hall, and then on down to Salt Lake. And then maybe wait a couple of days and then make the return trip all the way from Salt Lake, clear back to Virginia City. I see. So. Okay. But, uh, you know, there are just some pretty amazing stories. Uh there's one here I skipped over. I'm going to go back and tell Well, this just one. to be a driver of a stagecoach, you had to be a guy that really had some strong hands and strong arms. Because you're talking about uh, a vehicle led by four horses or six. Right, yeah. And it had to be a long day. Yes. And like I say, they were, they were the toughest, the bravest, you know. And I can't find the story I was looking for. I know you're 
<laughs> your shifty eyes. <laughs> well, keep talking, Jeff. No, but you know, I, I don't know if you can see it. It's up there. I want you to look at that picture before you leave of me on that stagecoach. It's on the wall right there behind oh. that little uh, picture. And there's not much to balance on when you're up in that driver's seat. Yeah. Nothing. Uh, so I'm just going to remember this story for, or tell the story from memory because we have a few minutes okay just we got three minutes uh so a stagecoach was uh going along and the stage driver they hit something the stage driver uh got knocked off his seat okay and so the, the horses took off on a dead run well inside the stagecoach was a guy named mr lutz he climbed out of the stagecoach. Now, keep in mind, it's running full speed with these horses at a full gallop. He climbs out, climbs up onto the uh, uh, seat, but the reins are down, dragging on the ground. Mm-hmm. So he jumps down onto the tree, the single tree or the double tree, whatever, I can't remember, uh, between the horses, and then reaches down to grab the reins and, and, and then is able to jump onto one of the horses and is able to pull the stage to a stop and could have been if he'd fallen you know he'd have been trampled and run over by the stage that's a true story and i know and that act of heroism was imitated in a couple of early 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 movies and the stuntman yakima canut canut uh, imitated that same thing, and he was the first man ever to pull that off. Wow! In the movies, and now, and he did the real thing. He did the real thing yeah. on the runaway stage. Yakima Kanut. He was a great bronc rider, Indian cowboy, and he was hired to do these movies. And he was the first one that did that stunt. Of uh, he actually uh, was sliding along, holding on to that single tree, and then got the reins and got up there and stopped the horses. <laughs> you could not. Pay me enough. <laughs> no. Oh, anyway, those are just a few stories about the the men who held the ribbons. And I'll tell you what: being in a stagecoach, what was a day like? I mean, eight hours, or did they go? How well, long did they go? You know, they had the swing stations where they change horses, and then the home stations, which yeah. were farther apart. And so they'd be able to at least get off and rest for while they changed horses. So, yeah. but still. Yeah, uh, I'm going to guess sometimes even 12-hour days. Really? Just just to guess. I would rather have ridden up on top. Right, where you could see and have fresh air and And maybe not stretch be your legs a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes they had as many as 17 people in a stage and on a stage. Wow. I mean, the inside was packed and the, and, the, and people riding on top and Can just you hanging am- on. I hate to say this, but there's always going to be somebody that forgets their right guard. You think there might be <laughs> inside the stage? Yeah. That's why you had open windows. There you go. Uh, you know, the, do another story next week on stagecoaches. I love that. And we ought to get Bagby on here. I mean, oh. man alive, the three of us together, that'd be really yeah, interesting. Ray, and he also has a hearse that he's built. Have you seen that? Not yet. He has a beautifully made hearse. I mean, inside satin with the, the frills hanging and the oh windows. My. Just a beautiful piece of work. What good are windows on a hearse? Well, <laughs> <laughs> nothing. I'll leave you alone. Uh, thank you. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> That's as bad as naked people smoking in a nudist colony. Uh, yeah. Okay, here we go. Well, we wrecked this morning's program. I want to see what you're going to do on that tape. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. History.
Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for Season 3 of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.